How's it going, everybody? And welcome to this next edition of the Stupid Questions podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Tommy Zafaris. He is the, as Instagram says, photographer for World Triathlon and Super League Triathlon. So he takes lots of awesome action photos. You can go check him out on Instagram. Uh, he's also the head of talent identification at USA Triathlon, uh, which means that he does a lot of specific work to find the best cream of the crop athletes across the United States of America. So um, today, we talk a little bit about his life. I uh, talk about his wife, Katie. Uh, who I'm sure most of you have already heard of, um, and also his young boy, Kimball, and how he came up with that name. A lot of awesome uh, topics of conversation today. So without further ado, don't want to spoil too much. Here is Tommy Zafaris. Thank you so much for coming on, for accepting the invitation to uh, just have you on and get to know a little bit about you. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of the past podcasts or anything, but how I typically like to start is to ask a little bit of a third person question and that question is who is tommy so tommy right now or who is tommy in general <laughs> who is tommy right now and in general so tommy right now uh works for usa triathlon and world triathlon and is a full-time dad um, yeah. while his wife is um currently going for her third olympic games um in paris yeah. so she just went to her final race in um chile at a world cup down there and so i was single dadding it for a yeah. week trying to get all my usa triathlon stuff done and last minute find babysitters and, and do all yeah. that stuff so um yeah that's who i am right now is a overwhelmed dad yeah, <laughs> involved sure. heavily in the triathlon world yeah nice man um, in general, who is Tommy? Like if you were to kind of drop some of those things, what, how would we get to know you a little bit? So Tommy likes watching YouTube magic, uh, likes watching surfing and skateboarding, really following so, those. Um, I, I don't know how to say like, I don't follow mainstream sports like football or baseball or basketball. Um, but I follow surfing and skateboarding very closely. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, I really enjoy cycling. So even though I'm retired as a professional athlete, um, mm. any, any of my free time, I'll just go and try to ride my bike cycling community where I live is awesome. Um, Kimball has a jogging stroller. And so I also like going for runs with him. So if I have any time, um, I'll go run or ride, uh, heavily into Strava KOM hunting. So I try to nice. get all the segments around where I live. <laughs> nice. That's sick. Um, with the running stroller, I'm curious because so I'm 31. I don't have any kids yet, but it, it's in the, the somewhat near future. When you're running with with your kid in one of those strollers, is the workout the same? Is it different? Does it give everything that you want from running? Like, how, What is that experience like? Uh, I would say that it changes your technique. So just be careful with that. Um, it is much more difficult when you're going uphill <laughs> and having to push that. It is not aerodynamic. Um, I would say, because like people ask me that all the time, like, oh, what's the difference like mile pace wise? And I would say it's probably about 30 to 40 seconds slower um, yeah. per mile. Uh, so I can do all the easy runs with Katie, no problem. Um, when I'm fit, I can do some of her workouts. So it's it's not like terrible, but if she's doing like a really hard workout, there's no way that yeah. I can keep up. <laughs> yeah. But um, as an example, I run with a professional run group here, the Puma Elite Squad. And so if they go for an easy run and they're running, let's just say 640 mile pace, like I can do that no problem with the stroller. That is super impressive. Is this like a carbon fiber disc wheeled stroller? <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually just a, a pretty generic like uh, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's got the the like off road wheels or whatever. It's got some uh, suspension in it, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing fancy. There yeah. was a guy uh, from Denmark who set the world record for half marathon. He oh, ran a one oh seven with a baby oh, in a stroller, and he like had, a live like, baby. 
yeah, a live baby, <laughs> his toddler. And um, yeah, so he had the wheels that had like bald tires, you know, like no rolling resistance. And yeah, um, yeah it was all dialed in. But uh, yeah, mine's just a, a stock standard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's super cool. Um, so I want to go back to a little bit of, of Tommy in the earlier years. You said you grew up in California. What part of California? I grew up in Santa Cruz, California. So mm-hmm. a little bit um, about an hour south of San Francisco um, on the coast. Yeah. So surf, skateboarding, that's kind of where that love came from. Yeah. It was uh, in a debate with Huntington Beach as the surfing capital of the world or something like that. But uh, Uh, they let Huntington Beach have it because it's like a really small hippie community and they didn't want tourists coming to like surf there because it's the surfing capital of the world. So yeah. yeah. But it's a very small, like niche, um, very hippie community. (laughs) You grew up surfing quite a bit. Yeah, um, I was homeschooled, actually. I never went to public school. And so mm-hmm. I had a bunch of extra time. And that was considered, quote, marine biology. Yeah. <laughs> My mom would just take me to the beach. <laughs> and yeah, so I would be able to surf when other kids were in school and like go skateboarding and stuff once I finished my my homework and yeah. stuff. So um, yeah, just grew up at the beach doing all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. So now that you have Kimball and how old is Kimball? Kimball is 16 months now. Okay, so you got a little ways off before you start thinking about school. But given your experience with homeschooling do you think that you will travel a similar path in terms of education nope not at all (laughs) absolutely not yeah get him to school as quickly as possible let's get him to daycare (laughs) i need some time (laughs) yeah yeah for sure yeah he's a a very needy kid um i try not to get him to have single child syndrome where he's just like gets everything that he wants all the time but like you leave the room he just like starts chasing after you and like takes your hand wants to show you everything Uh, wants you to be part of everything like you're trying to make food and he's like stepping on your feet and like hugging your leg and stuff and you're like buddy i love you but like we need some separation like you need to be okay with like going to play by yourself in the other room or something but yeah so does he is he gravitate more toward you or more toward mom well when katie's gone like of course me um and then yeah like i I'll watch him while Katie goes and trains. And then when she's done training, she'll watch him. And then I work for USA Triathlon. So um, I would say like he just gravitates towards whoever is there. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants somebody, some sort of attention. Um, yeah. He's yeah, not very good at being alone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So your homeschooling journey, did, did you do that all the way through K through 12? Yeah, um, but I graduated, I started taking college classes when I was like 13 or 14 um, with my older sister and like with my grandpa. So we took an oceanography class and uh, my grandpa was the oldest in the class and I was the youngest in the class and um, we did some like extra credit stuff and whatever. So I ended up graduating high school when I was like 14. Um, I took a year off of school and then um, yeah, I went to junior college when I was 16 and yeah, graduated a bit early. I hated school, hated it. Like really good test taker, but hated reading, just Mm. hated the idea of school that like everything was put into a box that everything was based off of this, that all of these 20 kids in the same class have to learn the exact same thing when it's like, we have different interests, we have different learning curves, like it's just not a great structure. Uh, That was me personally. And and so like being homeschooled, I was just very happy that I was able to find my own path, really focus on the things that I was interested in, and then capitalize on that and like kind of avoid the things that I didn't want to do just because you had to do it. Um, And so yeah, going through college, I just did the bare minimum to get by and like, get good enough grades to to kind of graduate but um that it's kind of a longer story but basically I was planning on going to a four-year um but at the time it was right in between Olympic trials for swimming so I decided to stay with my club swim coach 
through Olympic trials, and then I was planning on going back to school. So uh, timeline, I graduated in 2006 okay. to graduate from junior college, sorry. So yep. the first two years, and so I was going to do the second two years, but in 2008 was Olympic trials. And so yep. I just decided from 2006 to 2008 to stay with my club coach and then just train for the Olympics. Cause I was like, I really hate school. There, there's time for that. I can go back if I want. Um, after Olympic trials, I just decided not to go back yeah. <laughs> and, uh, was very happy with that. Yeah, for sure. So with the Olympic trials, you were focused primarily only on swimming. Yeah. So at that stage, I only knew swimming. I didn't even know triathlon existed. Okay. I feel like that's relatively natural. Assuming you spent quite a bit of time in the ocean on a board, like you have to learn, I would assume a feel for the water as well. Yeah, um, I think swimming, I started swimming when I was like six years old. So that came first um, before anything else. But I also grew up doing junior lifeguards and mm -hmm. um, basically doing learning how to be a lifeguard, like a beach lifeguard. Yeah. Um, so just being involved with like water sports and like running on the beach, I think helped gravitate towards the, the triathlon thing, even though I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you have any memories um, during, it can be any of that time point that you were kind of doing homeschooling or even up into junior college of memories that just really stand out as being a formative foundation for who you are today? I think probably all of it. Um, yeah. It's like subconsciously you just absorb everything that you're around and everything that you're doing, even if you're not focused on it or paying attention. The sure. perfect example is what I'm doing now as a professional sports photographer for World Triathlon. My parents were wedding photographers and I grew up around them shooting weddings, doing portraits, nice. family photos, like senior photos, all this stuff. Um, I would sit, this is at the time when the internet was attached to your phone line and yeah. like you could only use the phone or the internet and you couldn't use both. And we only had one computer. So I would sit there waiting for my mom to be done with whatever she was doing so I could check my email yeah. and she would be editing like wedding pictures and stuff like that. And my dad, of course, was the creative, like, don't take the a picture that anybody else could take sort of thing. And yeah. I never wanted anything to do with photography because that's what they did. And I was like, weddings, portraits, like, oh man, what a nightmare. Like taking yeah. pictures of families with like little babies and kids. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what a headache. Yeah. Um, so I was not involved with photography at all. Didn't want to be, was not interested. But then later on, Kate, when I met Katie and before races, we'd always go on a photo walk. So we'd okay. always experience all the new locations that we'd be racing at. So after race briefing, we'd go out for a walk and just take pictures of the area that we were at we'd go to dinner um and then like my photos were people were noticing like oh that, that's more creative than what most people would take of just like a touristy shot or, yeah. or whatever um and so that photography thing led to katie buying me a camera and then oh, once sweet. i got the camera that just snowballed into we'll probably get into it later but yeah. um yeah all the things that i learned from my parents growing up i absorb even though i like consciously made the decision I'm not going to go into photography because that's what they did. And like, it seemed terrible, like yeah. <laughs> just from being around it because I'm like weddings, like portraits, yeah, all that stuff. but sports photography, obviously very different. Yeah. And, but everything that they did growing up, me growing up around it led to me being successful in what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like it. So who are you more like your mom or your dad? A uh, good combination of both. Um, probably my mom. Uh, no, I don't know. It's a, it's a 50, 50 split. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What are they doing now? Do they still do uh, wedding photography and stuff like that? Or? They're both retired. Um, yeah, so my dad plays in a blues band, and oh, my mom coaches running and is training for marathons, basically. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's funny because they obviously rubbed off on me in the photography aspect. But then when I started triathlon, my mom never ran before. Oh, and really? once I started doing triathlon, she started picking up running. And now she's almost 70 years old and has done like, 
ultra marathons and like 50 Ks and stuff. Like, yeah. um, and then my dad, um, he just has, he worked in the grocery business for 35 years and then was also a wedding photographer at the same time. Okay. Um, and then, so he retired, but he's just always loved music and on his lunch break, at the grocery store, um, which was between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, he would go down to the beach and just busk, like not on purpose, but people would just put money down (laughs) and he was just enjoying playing music. And then a a guy came by, a random guy was like, Hey, do you mind if I jam with you? He's like, sure. So they started meeting there at 10 o'clock every day during his lunch hour. And so then they created a band called 10 o'clock lunch. And now they're, they book gigs like all over Santa Cruz and like they made enough money that they had to pay taxes. Like um, they have auditions for their band and stuff. So, um, if I'm home visiting, like if Katie and I are there, my dad, we're like going to bed and my dad is like just leaving to go play show like yeah. and they'll get back at like 3 a.m and stuff so um they're just loving retirement and um yeah my mom still is working closely with some like trainees helping people train for marathons and stuff like yeah. that yeah that's super neat so with your dad's side uh, the music i want to touch on that just for a little bit because it's a huge part of just who i grew up to be through my dad's side actually as well for you uh, what where does that mix playing with you i don't imagine you have a ton of time but do, are you musical do you play uh, I, I play guitar, but I say I play guitar. I know how, and I used sure. to play all the time. I used to have calluses and stuff, and, oh, yeah. but now I don't at all. Like yeah. I haven't played probably since I started triathlon, which was yeah. back in 2010. Okay. So um, yeah, if I pick up a guitar, I can still do the normal chord progression stuff, but my fingers just start hurting after like 30 yeah. seconds. <laughs> but my dad just bought a guitar, an acoustic guitar, and sent it to my house for when he comes to visit so that he doesn't have to travel with his guitar. Oh, so nice. I do have a guitar now in the the house that I have access to if I wanted to play but typically with time like especially with a kid and like traveling and stuff like there's there's no way like you need to yeah. dedicate to that there's so many things I want to do like yeah I know I was gonna say continuing you seem so to learn busy. Spanish and yeah continuing yeah. to play guitar those are things that I'd love to do but like I would rather ride my bike or I'd rather yeah. go for a run with Kimball or I'd rather just like yeah. relax for a second yeah. <laughs> like not no, have yeah, to for focus sure. on anything so <laughs> yeah it's a season I feel like you're in definitely a season I mean obviously everything you got going on personally what Kay's got going on those things will change over time, but Kimball seems to be like a main focus right now. And I'm sure, I'm sure that takes a ton of time. Yeah. And that goes back to your very first question of like, who is Tommy? It's like, who is Tommy currently or who is Tommy like in general? Because um, same thing, like if I have time, I'd love to learn like sleight of hand magic tricks. Like, but that takes (laughs) so much time and practice that I'm like, I don't even want to start because like, I, I don't like going a percentage in like I like going all in yeah. and doing something where I know I have an extended amount of time to be able to complete it. So as an example, yeah. like with even with housework, it's like mm. if I'm looking out and I see that I have like the front yard split on the side of the driveway, if I only have time to do the left side and then like tomorrow I'll do the right side, I just won't do it until I have time <laughs> to do both sides. Like it has to all be done at yeah. once. Um, and I'm like that in everything in life. Like yeah. I don't like starting something if I'm not able to finish it. That yeah. really, really bothers me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you feel like that character trait was something that came from nurture or just nature? You were born with it? Yeah, I think that was just me. Like, I don't yeah. know anybody else who is like that. And like, yeah. it bothers Katie. <laughs> like, yeah. but, and, and my parents aren't like that. It's not like they, yeah, I didn't grow up around it. That's just me personally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, really quick, what kind of guitar did your dad buy? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to okay. go check. Okay, no worries. <laughs> I don't remember. It's probably like a Martin or something, but yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> Martin's my favorite. It's got that nice deep sound. I love that sound. More more moody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sweet, man. Um, So I was going to ask you a question about... Um, minimalism next. I talked to your wife, Katie, and she said that you kind of subscribe to this idea of if you get more than three shirts in your wardrobe, then you're like, oh, I had time to get rid of something. Where did that come from? 
Well, that's a little bit exaggerated because that's my travel rule. So okay. I don't travel with more than three things of anything. So mm -hmm. like three cycling kits, three run kits, like three shirts. Um, with pants, usually it's just two pants and one pair of shorts. So like three bottoms yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, socks, I'll probably go a little bit more, like maybe five pairs of socks, five pairs of underwear or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm all about just this is what you need and this is what you'll use if you bring more maybe you'll use it maybe you won't but like it's not worth having to like pack all of that stuff yeah. um and like if you really need something you can either borrow it or like i like layering stuff or you could just go out and buy it like yeah. it's not the end of the world yeah. um but yeah uh, minimalism for me just is organization yeah. i just hate clutter so that's been really hard with kimball and all his toys when he has toys all over the floor i'm just like oh man and i'm like constantly cleaning it up and katie's yeah. like why are you doing that just like let them play and then like clean it up at the end of the day i'm like oh, i just don't like looking at it i don't like seeing it yeah. um one time katie had left this was like very very early on in her relationship like i still can't believe i did it but she had left um like she had so much clothes and like i helped her move <laughs> from the olympic training center to um arizona when she was just starting her triathlon career and she had so much stuff. Like as an example, she's going to Arizona and she brought her snow shovel. And I'm like, come on, like you don't need a snow shovel in Arizona. Why would you ever bring that? Like just get rid of it. Um, and so she had just like t-shirts galore from like when she was an age group swimmer, the ones that have like your name with the star next to it, just like race t-shirts, yeah. but like so many. So anyway, she left a bag at my house one time and I told her if she could remember what was in the bag, then I'll save whatever she remembers. And if she doesn't remember it, then she doesn't need it. <laughs> like it's so not funny. important. And so I think I ended up using like a few t-shirts that she had left as like bike rags or something like that because yeah. like she didn't remember what they were just, they could have been anything. So, yeah. um, but that, I mean, I have no idea where this started was definitely not my parents. It was not my, my sister. It was not my family. Um, I just like, having everything very clean, like having a clean desk, like having yeah. the bed made, you know, like knowing where everything is. I always put my keys in the exact same spot. I put my wallet in the exact same spot, like how everything's organized. I always put everything exactly the same. So I never forget where it is. And I always take notes of where Katie puts things because she just puts things in different places and then can never find it. And so she's <laughs> like, dang it, I don't know where my phone is. I was like, oh, I saw it in the shower or whatever. <laughs> like, And I'll just take notes. Um, but no idea where that started still continues on to this day that I don't think it's getting worse, but, um, yeah, it's just it's staying where I'm like, all right, it's gotta be clean. Gotta be fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if that will decrease as Kimball gets older. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think it's a little bit of like OCD if I may put a limit? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like if I'm sitting at a table, um, like as an example with my phone, I'll put my phone. So it's squared up, you know, oh, right yeah. in the corner yeah. and like, I don't know why. I just like it like yeah. that. <laughs> but I don't have to do that. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't matter to me, but I just enjoy doing that and yeah. whatever. <laughs> no, I'm the same way, actually. There's a lot of things. I've, I've tried to be a little less because my wife's a little bit sounds a little bit more like Katie, where she's constantly leaving her phone all the time, or it's like always something's lost every, every few minutes. <laughs> so it's like, oh, yeah, I saw it over here. I saw it over there. So can relate a little bit. Um, so take me back <clears throat> when you start, I guess I would assume it's around high school, college where you start getting into swimming and then that progression that moved into, I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer. Or that's the dream. Then I get into triathlon and I assume you meet Katie. I want to kind of hear that, that progression story. All right. We'll try to keep it simple, but basically I swam my whole life growing up. Um, and naturally like from eight years old, I was pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, I really didn't really care about swimming because I was like, what's swimming going to do for me in the long term? Like I was really into skateboarding and surfing and stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't until, I don't even know how old I was, maybe 
15 or 16 at maybe 16. Um, I went to junior nationals because junior nationals was at Stanford, which is like an hour and a half from where I live. Mm -hmm. So I just drove there rather than like flying across the country to go there. And I went there and ended up winning the 50 fly, the hundred fly and the 200 fly. And at that specific race, this was back in who knows what year. I don't even know what, how old I would have been 2002, maybe or something like that. Um, I, they didn't have fifties before now it's a regular thing, Mm -hmm. but then that was like a new thing. And they also had semifinals, which they didn't have before. So it was like this very unique setup of junior nationals. So I won every single race that I did from like prelims to semifinals to finals. And I was the only person to sweep an event. And so then I was in like swimming world magazine. And like, from that point, I became like what they call a blue chip in recruitment. So I was getting letters from like every college I could have gone wherever I wanted for swimming um, with like a full ride and like, all the people were reaching out and stuff. Uh, but I hated school. So I didn't want to choose a school that I was going to go to. Um, cause I'd already done junior college. And so for, you so know, you're like 15 around this time. Yeah. 15 or 16, um, something like that. And at the same time I was swimming for the junior college okay. and I broke almost every single record except for the mile. Um, and the only wow. reason I didn't break the mile record at the school was because it, you didn't offer the mile except for at state championships and at nationals. And oh, at state championships, you're only allowed to swim three events. And so I wanted to swim my best events. Um, and I ended up sw- setting a national record in the 200 fly. Um, and that also helped like with college recruitment. So that was happening at the same time as junior nationals was happening. Because okay. as I said, like I graduated early so when I was 16 like I was going through the junior college phase Um, and so then by the time I quote graduated from junior college that's when Olympic trials was like being I was preparing for Olympic trials and I didn't want to change my coaching environment working with the coach that had been very successful you know in this last year Um, I didn't want to go to a school where I would miss a year of eligibility to swim and like choose the school to go swim at but then only have one year and then be stuck going to that school. And so then I wanted to choose a school to go to for educational purposes. But as I told you at the beginning, I didn't want to go to school for education. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to put all that on hold, stay with my club coach, train through Olympic trials in 2008. And then once that happens, I'll go back to school. Um, And so then I ended up never going back to school. But um, yeah, that's kind of the the progression that happened with, um, yeah, growing up swimming. Yeah. Junior nationals. Let me, inter- let me interject a question for this kind of time period because, I mean, 15, 16 is a relatively young age. As guys, we typically – you may not have, but we typically bloom a little bit later. So, like, mind development still happening. You're taking in a ton of, like, obviously cheer, positive reinforcement. You're somewhat famous for these things. How did that affect you as a person? Did that Was that any type of, like, a shock or, like, did it, did it shock the system at all? Did you think – no? No. Yeah. From what I so recall, you- like – the second that I finished Olympic trials in 2008, I just went to the skate park. Like I got home and I was like, sweet. I I don't have to worry about getting injured anymore. Now I can actually do what I want. And like, um, I just immediately started coaching swimming and then I started working at Safeway. Like I was, I was just happy to just have time and do whatever I want living in Santa Cruz. Like didn't really care what was going on. I was just happy to be done swimming. (laughs) Yeah. Was that, was the swimming career encouraged and kind of pushed in any way by family and friends or is it not really i think i just pursued it because i was good at it and i i mean my parents wanted me to go to school and like get a degree and stuff well more my dad and my mom like was like whatever i don't really care and and my dad wasn't like super pushy but he was like you're gonna need to do something so like 
I mean, I know you said you're going to go back, but um, he he was encouraging. It was, I never felt pressure whatsoever. And when I decided not to, he was not like, oh, you're making a bad decision. He was just like, all right, that's what you want to do. I'm sure that you'll make it work, but just know like it might be hard and like you might be stuck at the grocery store, like working there for 30 years, like I did or whatever. Uh, But I knew that I wasn't going to work at the grocery store for that long. It was just like a temporary thing when, you know, I'm, I'm young and I was coaching, swimming, hanging out with friends, surfing and skateboarding and trying to figure out, yeah, what I was going to do next. And that's kind of, I, I, I would say I'm very lucky in the fact that things have worked out very well for me, uh, in the fact that like the timing of meeting people or the right place at the right time has just happened. Um, and it's just been like that my whole life. I've been so lucky. Um, and I don't take it for granted, but, um, yeah, the, the biggest thing I think is like, having made the decisions for myself being like, this is just what I want to do that I'm enjoying. That's what opened up doors to meet other people. So if I had just decided to like work an office job or something, I may not have met so-and-so and and that person may not have introduced me to so-and-so and and then I would be doing what I'm doing right now or whatever. Um, And so I, I feel like just going with the flow, living the life that I felt I wanted to is what opened the doors to, you know, the life I have now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you're describing something that some people might call serendipity or some people might call providence. I'm curious, were you, did you grow up with any type of a framework or mindset around some of these concepts? Maybe it was a religious one. Maybe it was more of just a, no. No. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I did grow up grow up in the church. Uh, my family is Christian. Um, yeah, I, I stopped going to church probably when I was like, I, I guess it was 16 when I was like old enough to drive and like didn't yeah. have to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, I think I had the the morals, but not anything else other than like, I didn't feel like my life was predestined or like my decisions were going to determine my future or my afterlife or anything like that. Like very neutral uh, um, across the board of like, yeah, life is what it is and you're only here for a certain amount of time. So do what you want to do and hopefully it'll work out. (laughs) If it's not working out, then like do something else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. It seems like a pretty uh, practical mindset. You seem like a pretty practical person, so. Well, Santa Cruz <laughs> lifestyle, yeah. I guess, is yeah. <laughs> rubbed off on me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So in raising Kimball, then, if I may ask a little bit more of a personal question, um, in raising him, like, obviously, I, I've seen some of my friends, now I'm 31, who have started to have kids, and I've seen it kind of radically change the way that they, you know, maybe not all, all of them radically, but really change the way that they kind of think about life and how they present themselves, the, how they talk, whatever. There's a lot of different things, I think, that are considered. Are you thinking about, like, well, as Kimball grows – what morals do I want him to have or what do I want him to see? Like how to push hard and do hard things. I would just hope that he sees what Kate, like Katie and I strive to just be good people. And if he's growing up around good people, then he's hopefully, and if we just love him, he's going to be a good person. So I don't think we're, we're trying to push anything or like (laughs) making sure that he has this or that. Um, But if he is picking up on everything that we're doing. And if we're doing the right things, then hopefully that works out well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So I haven't actually met Katie yet. I messaged her a few times just to get some questions that I'll get into later for maybe getting a little dirt on you. The minimalism one was one of them. Um, you guys both seem like kind of a power couple. How did you meet? What was that first couple of interactions like? Yeah, so uh, two parts. One, I met her in an elevator in San Diego before a race, but that okay. wasn't like a real meeting. I was just being polite because she was wearing a USA shirt and I didn't recognize who she was. So yeah. I was just like, hey, how's it going? I'm Tommy. 
Katie, nice to meet you. And then we didn't even sit together at briefing or anything. Like yeah. um, that was her first WTCS race. And like, I was training with an international squad. So I sat with the international friends, like the friends that I had, not the yeah, US yeah. athletes, just because they were US or I don't know. Yeah. But um, so that was the first meeting. But the real meeting that we had was in Tijavaris, Hungary at a World Cup. Um, and at the after party, we like ate dinner together and I like grilled her with tons of questions. Um, and like, yeah, it, it was just, we ended up talking like that whole weekend and then like all night at the after party until she had her shuttle was at 4am or something like that. So we just stayed up talking all night. And then, yeah, after that, we just never stopped talking. And then a month later ish, roughly, um, we went on our first date and then started officially dating. And then a year after that. Um, I asked her to marry me and then three months later we got married. So yeah. <laughs> it was all like very quick, basically meeting her at, in Tijavaris at the after party. It was like a completely different experience than meeting anybody else. Like it, that, just that the way that we clicked is unexplainable. Yeah. It's yeah. A, the annoying friend where somebody who like can't find love, you, you tell them, Oh, you'll meet the right person. It'll just happen. You don't need to like look or whatever. Yeah. They're like, shut up. Yeah. Like <laughs> that is literally our story. It's yeah. like, I was not looking for anything. She was not looking for anything. And then it just happened. And it was like, this was like meant to be. Yeah, <laughs> so um, yeah, it was one of those extra things, as I mentioned before in my life, that right place, right time. Like I wasn't even planning on going to that race. I just got injured and wasn't able to go to a different race. So last minute decided to go to this race. And yeah. then that happened. So um, yeah. it's one of those things where everything bad or what I feel like is bad or is not to my plan that has happened has led to something else that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's super cool. Um, what is it about Katie that you liked and like? Just her humility, her strength. Just, yeah, she is one of those people that is a good person. Like, mm -hmm. nobody has anything bad to say about her. She's nice to everybody. Um, the way that she responds to every situation just comes across as super genuine. Um, yeah, like, would never hurt a fly, you know, like that type of person. And just her love for her family, um, her commitment to her friends, her commitment to her craft. Um, even though like you could say that she doesn't love the sport of triathlon, but she is very committed to it and approaches it incredibly professionally. So, I mean, she's like that in every aspect of life. Sure. Um, and this could go on and on about like her diaries and like how much she is intentional about things and creating goals and like sticking to things and um yeah being very specific so she's just like that in all of life and what you see is what you get and it was just very different like initial like interaction with her yeah yeah for sure would you say that you guys have helped like grow each other individually huge huge amounts yeah, yeah. Um, she tests me in ways and she, and I test her in ways and that's perfect because, um, she was saying before in relationships that she's had previously that like, there was no testing whatsoever. It was kind of just like very passive. And mm -hmm. so now she was like, oh, wow. Like you actually challenge me. Like you ask me, why am I doing this instead of this? And then I have to actually think about it rather than like not even questioning why I was doing this. Or if we're having an argument, like. She's like, you actually talk things out and are like having a legitimate debate rather than just like yelling or something, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. And um, so the both, the both of us work off each other where things that I'm lacking, like she provides. And then if she's lacking in some place that I provide and like the two of us have worked things out over the years, you know, yeah. um, 
we've spent so much time together. We did yeah. the math and we're, we've been married three times as long as a normal couple because of living together, training together, traveling together, like literally doing every single thing together. You spend so many hours that like, it's not normal. Um, and so if you're able to complete all of these hours together without getting divorced, I think you're in a winning relationship. And yeah, uh, yeah if you're able to train and travel with, somebody that you live with, uh, I think you're in a, in a winning spot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it's a rare thing to, well, just in general, not even in relationships, but to have a humble enough spirit to kind of what you're saying, be able to take a challenge and to challenge in a way that's not like attacking or defensive, but depending on what side of the conversation you're on. So that's really neat that you guys have that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious with the lifestyle that you guys live like you said you you've you've done the hours and i'd be curious to hear how long or how long you guys have been married through all of the math that you guys did um so yeah that's the first question how long is that well when we did that it was five years and so we had been married 15 years okay <laughs> um, we got married in um 2015 so it's been eight years now so yeah. i guess you could say we've been married for 24 years so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but so now with kimball and the last two years um has been very different because yeah, we're no longer training together because she was pregnant, so she wasn't training at all. And then now with Kimball, I'm watching Kimball while she's training, and then she comes back, and then I work. And so, yeah, it's been drastically different yeah. um, the last couple of years. I would say since tw the end of 2020. So yeah. 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 So with the lifestyle that you guys live, I mean, you guys are obviously so busy. You're traveling all around the world. You're doing all these things. Having two high-performing people in their own respective fields living together and traveling and doing all that things – would seem like it would create stress and tension. Does it not for you guys? Do you, are you just like a fluke where you're like, yeah, we, we just do it. We get it done. Or Yeah, yeah I think we've fell into our roles, uh, meaning that like Katie has her things that she likes doing and her timelines. And then I'll just kind of like pick up the slack where it needs to be picked up. And then like if there's something that I'm focused on that I need to do, like I'll focus on that, do that, and then ask her and she'll pick up the slack there. But yeah, over the years, it's just morphed into a cohesive unit of like, we are now like, Katie will is much more of a planner. So she'll like go out and plan all these trips and um, say, this is how it's going to work. And this yeah. is how things are going to go. And then she'll just send me that information. And then I'll do it on my end, like with World Triathlon or like, well, I'll figure out my yeah. end. So she's kind of like the leader in that aspect. And of course, like with her life, she's the athlete. Sure. So she needs to kind of determine all of that stuff. So I'm like, well, I'll just like make money over here and uh, <laughs> like make sure that we're set no matter what happens. If you get injured or if you get in an accident or a crash or something and you're not able to like do triathlon, like I have a set here, here's the set plan. Um, so I'm kind of like the fallback guy, <laughs> yeah, for sure. uh, but yeah, she, she drives everything. She runs everything. She plans everything. And then, um, I'm just there in support. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, so how did you get, come up with the name Kimball? I heard that it was something to do with COVID and isolation in Slovakia. Uh, no, that, no, <laughs> um, no. So Katie's father passed away just before the Olympics okay. and his mantra in life was to be kind and humble. And so Kimball is kind and humble combined. Oh, okay. uh, and so we wanted to name Kimball something special, something family related and coming up with names like Katie had kind of generic names that she was thinking about, but I was like, I want it to be special. I want it to mean something, yeah. but I don't want it to be uh, her dad's name. I don't want it to be my dad's name. Like I, I want it to be something unique, but not so unique that people can't spell it and like all this stuff. So then yeah. I was just like racking my brain and I was like, 
all right, humble and kind, like kind and humble. And I was like, Kimball, that could be a name. Like, and then also could be gender neutral. So, cause we didn't find out what we were having yeah. until um, he was born. Okay. And so I was like, oh, Kimball could be either a boy or a girl's name. So that, that works. Yeah. And Katie was like, oh, I don't know if I don't like Kimball, but the second he was born, she's like, he's a Kimball. Like we have to name him Kimball. So um, Kimball is in honor of her dad who wished her and everyone, his daughters like to be humble and kind in life. So yeah. kind and humble Kimball. Okay, good. Yeah, I got that messed up, but that's a that's a beautiful story. Um, that was when I guess five years ago. No, no, sixteen months ago. Sixteen months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet. Yeah. Wow. Cool, man. What's his middle name? William. So after yeah. her dad. Yeah. Okay. Nice, nice, nice. Do you think you'll have more children in the future? Uh, Katie wants to after Paris. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Good deal. I never wanted to in the first place, like have a kid. I was like, yeah. I'm not ready. Like my life's so good and. But Katie's like, I'm getting older. And I'm like, oh, man, like once we have a kid, like there's no going back, though. Like you're just stuck. Yeah. And but um, yeah, like Katie, as a woman who's having the kid, like <laughs> she has way more say in this than I do. So sure. I'm like, <laughs> if you want to have a kid, let's do it. And then uh, after one kid, I was like, oh, my gosh, one kid is enough. Like, yeah. And she's like, I want to have a second one. I was like, do we have to have a second one? But um, <laughs> she was like really all in on it. And uh, of course, like. I'm happy to have a second one and it's going to be very different if Katie is done racing, if she's yeah. done with triathlon and we have a second child, um, that's going to change everything. It's just right now with traveling and my work yeah, for USA triathlon, for world triathlon, her training full-time, like both of us are working and having a kid. It's just super overwhelming. But once K Kimball starts daycare and once Katie is like taking a step back from racing, I mean, that's going to change yeah, drastically how much time we have. And like, we're not going to have to organize every single race that we go to having a babysitter that can be there full time and like having an extra room in our Airbnb or getting two rental cars instead of one rental car or one big rental car, you know, just like all of these extra logistics that we have to go through for the year at every single race that needs to be planned ahead. And of course, if somebody's going to come to an event to help us support by watching Kimball the whole week, because yeah. I'm working for world triathlon, Katie's getting ready to race. Somebody needs to be watching Kimball. Yeah. Um, like it, it takes a lot, a lot of preparation. Um, and you need that. to notify these people who are coming well in advance <laughs> and yeah. they, so that they can schedule things. And so it's just, uh, it's really hard, especially this year because Katie lost all her points being pregnant. She had to go, she wasn't sure she would get on the start list. Wow. So we couldn't plan ahead for which races she was going to. And Jeez. we had to go through all these logistics of that you need to plan ahead for. And man, that, that to me was just overwhelming. And I think that all of that just built up and that made me be like, I can't believe we could have two kids that like, it, I couldn't yeah. fathom it. Yeah. <laughs> but now that that's all like simmered down a little bit and like we have things figured out and she's able to get starts at races and we can plan ahead. And then also if she takes a step back from racing, like I think it'll all be fine and two kids will be good. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Do you think that once that time comes where she kind of takes a step down from the athletics, like specifically focus being on a professional athlete, that you'll take the helm in a different way and like kind of focus on something different? Yeah, um, we've talked about that. I think um, it, once she takes a step back, it's just going to open up a lot of time uh, to be able to do whatever. And 
at this stage, I have no idea what that is, uh, whether or not it's um, pursuing a higher career within USA Triathlon, um, taking a step back from like World Triathlon and me not traveling to those races because she's not going to be there anymore. Um, Or maybe I am doing more World Triathlon races because she's not going there anymore and she can watch Kimball and I can just take these one-off trips. Um, So I don't really know what that's going to look like, kind of waiting till after Paris to see what she decides to do. Um, And then we'll see what happens with having a kid and a second kid and um, see how things are going now that in January when Kimball starts daycare, if that opens things up as well. Um, so lots to be figured out, but not too, not too worried about it, not yeah. planning on anything, but keeping doors open. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I did get two questions mixed up, and I apologize. So the Slovakia thing that she had me ask about, it said to ask you about your magic, specifically COVID isolation in Slovakia. What is that? Um, so yeah, in Slovakia, I shot the PTO, um, the very first Collins cup that they had okay. and I ended up testing positive for COVID and this was in 2020, yeah. um, no, sorry, 2021. Yeah. Um, and so in Slovakia, they still had the rules where you need to quarantine for, um, they had two weeks. Ugh. Um, and if you test positive, it's quarantined for two weeks from the date that you test positive. So as an example, I tested positive. And if I wanted one week later, I could test again. But if that test was positive again, I would have to stay two weeks from that point. So I needed to decide, like, do I want to chance it? Am I feeling better? Like, if I test positive, that's going to extend two weeks. Anyway, so I ended up being in Slovakia for a little over two weeks by myself, just quarantined at this top floor of a hotel room, but it was an athletic hotel. So they had um, like treadmills, they had smart trainers, like I had my bike there. They had like a giant patio with a hot tub and like um, I had access to like all the rooms. They would just deliver my meals every day because I wasn't allowed to leave. I couldn't go outside except for like on my balcony. Um, And so- Yeah, they would deliver a bag lunch that had like a piece of fruit, some sort of like cup with like a lid and then um, like a juice box or soda or whatever it was. Um, So that was the only thing that I had in my room was things that were being delivered like food wise. And so I love magic. I love sleight of hand magic. And then as a creative, I just like unique things. So I like the idea of coming up with magic tricks that have never been done before. So I was using the food items like the um, containers that the food was coming in and the actual food to create magic tricks. And because I had endless time, I was just quarantined there with nobody else and nobody to talk to. And I had two weeks. So I would just invent my own magic tricks and I would film them and I would just practice them, practice them, practice them, film them, film them for hours, like literally for like three hours just in front of the camera until I would get it where you could watch it frame by frame and not see how the magic trick was done, like slide of hand wise. Um, And then, yeah, I would uh, publish it (laughs) or save the video. Um, And so I, I don't do magic in person because to me, like I would need to practice a lot to be able to execute. Um, But I just like the idea of creating. And so I just created these tricks that are one-off tricks. They'll never be done again. Um, And I was very happy that, yeah, I invented them. And then I jailbroke because um, I got to the point where I was like, I'm not sick anymore. I have tested negative, but because I had tested positive like a second time and I was supposed to stay longer, um, I asked the hotel, I was like, can I get in trouble or can you guys get in trouble? They're like, we can't get in trouble, but we can't make you stay, but you could leave if you want. So I have a friend in (laughs) Slovakia and I needed to get to the Super League race that I was shooting. And so I called him up. He was going to Super League as well. He's an announcer. Uh, And I was like, hey, 
if I can make it to you, um, he lives in Bratislava, which is like an hour away from um, where I was in Samarin. And uh, I was like, if I can make it to you, can we drive to um, Munich or yeah, I forget wherever we're in Germany? He's like, for sure. So I just jailbroke basically, like hired a private shuttle that came and picked me up, made it to his house. And then we just drove across the border because <laughs> uh, they didn't have any like COVID tests. Uh, I didn't need to like get a COVID test to fly or, or anything like that. So we just drove to Germany and um, yeah, I was able to, I was negative when I got there and it was all good and stuff yeah. like that. But um, yeah, jail, that was, that was the Slovakia story. So yeah. A couple weeks in Slovakia doing magic with yeah. random food. <laughs> yeah, that's a wild story. Do you have these videos posted on like your Instagram that I, we could watch later? Yes, actually. Um, so I have what's called the quarantine diaries in my Instagram okay. stories. Um, and so I have every single video. I did vlogs every single day about updates of what was going on. Yeah. I would actually have to go back. It would probably be a better story to see. But um, yeah, I, I just filmed my entire time being there of what I was doing each day. Um, you know, just like little 10 yeah. second clips here or there um, or things that I was doing with the food and magic tricks and yeah, yeah updates. So um, that's all on there. Also, I was doing, um, I had bands. So I was doing like Instagram lives of like um, band exercises and that video has been shared like crazy now because I went through the routine of like if you can't swim these are the, my favorite exercises it's a 20 minute band session and during COVID of course everyone like pools were closed yeah, course, so they're like they're oh this is out. great and I still utilize that video to this day with like new athletes who are like hey like the pool's closed or I can't get in a swim or whatever um what is a good band workout? I'm like, boom, here's a, a link to this video I made in Slovakia. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have a few of those things. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. We'll have to link them. Yeah, it's interesting how COVID or anything that creates, I guess, sort of a vacuum or an inability to do something really sparks creativity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You just have plenty of time to be yeah. able to think about things that you never would have been able to think about before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so going back to when you did uh, the Olympic trials for the swimming, I assume that you didn't make it on the team. Is that kind of what happened? Okay. Yeah, I ended up getting a, a sphenoid sinusitis. <laughs> so oh. basically a, a gnarly sinus infection. And the doctor said it was due to stress um, just from like leading up to the Olympic Games. Um, and I wasn't able to put my head underwater without like insane pain, like just really? knives going through my head. So I was having to train with this. And like every time I did a flip turn, it was like a nightmare. Um, and oh. so then I had to race with that. And so I didn't have the race that I was hoping to have and didn't even make uh, semifinals. So um, I was I went in ranked like second or third in the US like time wise. And so I had a shot at making the Olympics and then went to not even making semifinals yeah. um, at the at the trials. So that was unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Did, was that like pretty crushing? Like you said, you went on to go kind of work and just go to skate park and stuff. But honestly, no, it wasn't super crushing. Um, but it did leave a chip on my shoulder for when I found out about triathlon and that it was in the Olympics. And that was like one of the sole reasons I decided to pursue the draft legal side of the sport rather than like non-drafting or even just anything in general. Yeah. I was like, Oh, here's a, another chance to like redeem myself at a yeah. sport. Yeah, for sure. So how did you first hear about triathlon and then get involved into that vein? Uh, gas was really expensive in California at the time. And okay. I was coaching swimming, working at Safeway at the grocery store. And, uh, I decided to buy a bike just so that I wouldn't have to pay for gas. The day that I bought a bike, I ran into one of my old junior lifeguard instructors who happened to be the race director of a local triathlon. And they were like, oh, hey, are you doing the, the race this weekend? I was like, what race? And they're like, oh, the triathlon. And I was like, what is a triathlon? And they're like, oh, you swim, bike, run. And like, it's uh, this specific race, like 
helps the college that I went to, like uh, the sport department of it and like high schools in the area, like all their sporting departments. Yeah. It was like a fundraiser. So um, they're like, oh, it'd be really good to support. And like, I'll give you a free entry if you just want to do it and like um, promote it, like tell your friends about it and stuff like that. And I was like, well, okay. So they gave me a free entry. And so I just ended up doing this triathlon one week after never having owned a bike before. And I had skate shoes. I was just going to run in vans the day before. But my mom was like, I need to buy you running shoes. So my mom bought me running shoes the day before the race. Um, yeah. And so then I ended up doing that race first. Um, I did that same race again. I got very competitive. So like the next year, I was like, well, I'm going to do that race again. And I'm going to buy a nice bike. I'm actually going to like train for it. And I'm going to win it and like all this stuff. And that was my only goal was to win this race. And then I ended up running into the back of the lead van because um, a police officer stepped out in the middle of the road thinking the van was a, a car that wasn't supposed to be on the course. And I was in on my time trial oh bike, just like head down. And I looked up and the van was coming to a screeching halt and I just ran into the back of it. Oh, <laughs> um, and so I was in the newspaper for that reason. <laughs> and then being in the newspaper, I got seen by um, a guy named Victor Plata who went to the Olympics in 2004. He's okay. from Santa Cruz as well. So he contacted me about coaching me and was like, hey, you're a swimmer. You have Olympic trial swim times. Like I saw your talent with um, like run, swim, run races and junior lifeguards and stuff like that. I saw your talent naturally from the first race that you did in triathlon. Like you need to do draft legal racing, which is in the Olympics. And so he had a meeting with me. And um, at that same time, two-time Olympic medalist, and he's in the Hall of Fame now, Bevan Doherty from New Zealand, okay. moved to Santa Cruz at that exact same time oh, wow. and joined a master's group with one of my friends who I grew up with who doesn't live in Santa Cruz anymore. He was just visiting his family and went to that one master's practice and told him to contact me and put gave him my contact info. Oh, wow. And so Bevan contacted me, and I had just started the sport, and he was like, hey, I got this your info from this other guy. Would you ever want to swim together? So Bevan and I started swimming together, and now I had this two-time Olympic medalist mentor um, that I had just started this sport, and I got to grow up like doing the sport with like one of the best athletes at that time. <laughs> like in the world. Yeah. Um, and it was just like all these things. As I said, I've said many times, everything just fell into place. It was right place, right time. My whole life, it's been like that. Yeah. <laughs> and that was one of those things. Like, what are the chances of my buddy being at that one practice? Yeah, for real doesn't even live there anymore and he's the only person at that whole practice that could have given Bevan my contact info and if he hadn't been there Bevan never would have contacted me I never would have known that Bevan even lived there like yeah. all that stuff it's crazy yeah that is crazy and a wild story so how did your progression happen in the sport because obviously you're not racing professional anymore like when did that how did that go and progress did did you get where you wanted to go and then you kind of transition into being um the photographer at WTCS and then like a talent scout I think for USAT and doing photography so like how did all that mix in over time yeah so uh oh man where to start with this yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry it's a broad question <laughs> my bad so we'll, we'll do it real quick but basically i got my elite license at my third race ever so my first draft legal race oh. um victor was like victor plato is the name of my coach the guy from santa cruz the olympian um and so he told me i'll oh, go to this race get your elite license and then we can race world triathlon racing so i did that got my elite license at my first race. And then Bevan was telling me, you need to get to Europe and get on a French team. So he helped me get on a French Grand Prix team. And so I'd never traveled before ever. And I just moved to France and wow. um, yeah, joined this French Grand Prix team, raced French Grand Prix. Um, I would say that like my development was vi very unique, very different than anybody else in the sport, just because I had like the mentorship of um, a very high level, you know, international athlete. And like domestically in the U S 
people weren't going to Europe to race yeah. at that time. Um, and but it was like internationally, that's what a lot of the best guys were doing. And so I, I would never would have known about that. And like Victor would never have told me to do that unless Bevan had brought it up and Bevan had connected me with the right team and all that stuff. So he got me connected, started racing that results started to come. And then eventually I worked my way into getting into the higher level races. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I kind of just like hovered around, I would say average range, like let's say in the twenties, um, just every single race I was like in the twenties, which made sense. Cause like I was still building up my run. Um, my aerobic capacity was much higher than like what my body could handle running. So I was getting injured all the time. And, mm. um, I ended up switching coaches. Um, at the same time, I got the opportunity to be coached by Joel Filial, who now is one of the best coaches in the world. Like his resume speaks for itself at having so many Olympic medalists and world champions over the years, yeah. but he was just starting his squad in 2012 um, well, 2013, but December of 2012, he came to me and was like, Hey, I'm starting this squad and I want you to be a part of it because of your swim prowess, you would be a really good addition. And I think these other athletes that I'm going to be having come on board could help you with your run. Um, and so then I went to the first camp and then he supported me like crazy with like helping me out, get to camps and, um, just bringing me on board. And I've been part of Joel's squad now, the longest out of anybody, wow. <laughs> you know, I've out outdone everyone except for um mario who's technically still part of it uh, but i'm like one month before mario so still longer than him <laughs> yeah. uh, racing wise mario has been racing much longer because um i was with joel until 2014 when i had a heat stroke and seizures mm. at, at a race and then was airlifted to a hospital oh my goodness. Uh, and then was in a coma for 19 hours and they didn't think i was going to survive and i ended up surviving i lost my memory for a little over a week but it eventually came back um, and that was at the exact same time that I'd like just met Katie and she was afraid that like, I wasn't going to remember her and oh goodness, <laughs> all this stuff. Dude. But anyway, so from that point, I took a step back from like racing for myself and I just started becoming Katie's training partner. Yeah. Um, I would still race, but only when it worked out with my schedule. So like here or there, if I was going to be in this area and the race worked out, I would race. So I wouldn't like focus on things. I, my trying to qualify for the Olympics took a step. Like I, I didn't try anymore. Um, I did get an opportunity though. in uh, in 2015 at the test event for the Rio Olympic games, mm -hmm. I just went there to support Katie and I'd just been training with her, but I put my name on the start list just in case like somebody got sick or like crashed or whatever. And that's what happened. Um, I rolled onto the start list at the last moment wow. and had one of the best races of my life and almost qualified for the Olympic team, wow. <laughs> but ended up blowing up the last lap of the run and, um, just overheated and like everything from my heat stroke kind of like came back. So I wasn't able to like execute yeah. uh, to the best of my ability, which was great. Like it, if I had made the Olympics, it probably wouldn't be good because Rio is super hot and humid and not a great place for yeah. me to race anyway. But it was just cool to like kind of go through that process of like, all right, I gave it a shot, yeah. did my best. Um, but yeah, same thing. Like I still finished in the twenties. Like uh, it was a very average result. So I never really made a name for myself. Um, I did get one world cup podium in Tongyang. Um, I beat some really big name people actually. Um, I was in a breakaway with Ben Knut and Henry Schumann who Henry went on to win bronze in, in yeah. Rio. But, um, yeah, that was probably the highlight of my career that, and then I was third place at Aquathlon world championships behind Alistair Brownlee and, um, Richard Varga, who That's Richard true. Varga won like seven different Aquathlon world champs and Alistair Brownlee is Alistair Brownlee. So yeah, having right. a picture on the podium with those guys, um, that was a highlight as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's still a super impressive uh, career, uh, even though maybe maybe not didn't pan out in terms of going to the Olympics and stuff. But it sounds like you obviously been very well networked, and you got to figure out kind of your your limits and things of that nature. So, but then how did you get to move into photography and then starting to work at these events as like a support on the content media side? Yeah, so Katie and I did our photo walks, and then she bought me a camera, and I started taking pictures, and then I had my accident, and after my accident, she was like, can like you get a job or something so that I'm like not the sole person like making money. Um, it's just like a lot of pressure on me. And so, um, I started working for Roka who was one of our sponsors at the time. So when I started working for them, there was only five people at the company and now it's like this huge company. They're doing all the sunglasses and eyeglasses and like, yeah, they're they're big in all the different sports, not just triathlon. Anyway. Um, so I started working for them because part of Joel's group, we had, I think six of like, 10 of the Roka athletes. And so I was able to get content for them that we were utilizing for social media, for the website, for ads, for like everything. And I was just able to go to the world triathlon races and get them content of like finish shots or like podium pictures and all that stuff. So Roka was paying for me to go to races to provide them with content. And then I was being paid because I was working for them in general. Um, and then by working for Roka, of course, I had raced for world triathlon, like at the highest level. So I knew all the world triathlon people, I knew all the athletes, that in turn gave me access that nobody else had. And the first time that I was quote noticed by world triathlon was I asked permission, I'm like, Hey, can I get in the swim familiarization with my GoPro and like take pictures of people? Yeah. And so they said, Yeah, sure. If you don't mind, like, share, actually, before that, they didn't even say that. They said, sure, because they they knew who I was. And I was like, awesome. So I got in there, provided Roka with the pictures. But then I provided all my other friends with pictures and they all posted about the race. Like, here's the race in Abu Dhabi that's coming up this weekend. You can watch it on Triathlon Live. Like, World Triathlon yeah. is hosting this race. World Triathlon points, tagging World Triathlon, hashtag World Triathlon. So World Triathlon was like, whoa, look at all of these athletes promoting the race yeah. that never happened before. And so they're like, hey, can you do this again Like at a different thing? And so then they started flying me two races. And I started doing um, Facebook live of the course familiarizations. So I would talk through the entire bike course of every single event on the circuit. So I was doing the pre-race swim galleries, the pre-race bike familiarization. Um, I just started doing content for them. And then that proved to be very beneficial for their sponsors and their backers and like promoting everything. So then they went to the board and was like, look at the value of this. And then they hired me the next year. So the first year I was worked for free. They would pay for me to get to the races or like for my hotel, but I wasn't making money. But for me, it was great because I was getting paid to be with Katie and like watch her race. And like, I was able to utilize my content, not just for them, but for for Roka as well. So like it was a benefit for everyone. But then, yeah, they, they offered me a contract um, the next year and then that's when I started working for them um, contractually, yeah. like here, there. But then that blossomed into like a new media team came on board. Um, the lady who originally like I was working with got a job working for the Olympic Committee. And the, so 
I ended up being the person who onboarded the new media team because okay. I was the one who was working with them before. And so then I was like, oh, here's what we're doing now. And so then everything that I was doing for them content wise then became like the norm for world triathlon and like for other races with like all the pre-race buildup and stuff. I never did video. Like I've only ever done still images. Um, the video stuff, like I wasn't into except for the, like the Facebook live thing. I don't count sure. that as video though. Cause that's not like editing together a, a specific thing. But, um, yeah, the, the relationship that I had with the athletes, world triathlon just took notice and was like, all right, we can utilize you in this way. And so then it worked out perfectly that I could train with Katie full time, work for Roca, um, go to the races that she was racing at and have my own hotel and, um, flights paid for and get paid to yeah. be there. Um, and yeah, it just couldn't have worked out any better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So that was that piece with World Triathlon. How did you get involved with USAT? I assume it was kind of all at the same time? Uh, no. So USAT was very recent. That was a couple years ago. Um, at this stage, Roca had grown. So I started working for Roca in 2014. And so fast forward to 2020, I've been working for them for six years. They've branched out from being triathlon specific, which mm -hmm. I know about and I was involved with and like everything that I was doing for them. I'm like, this is my whole life is triathlon. Yeah. But then they had like, they just were like, we have to go in on glasses. Glasses are universal. Triathlon's very niche. Um, we have huge backers, but they want us to grow and develop our business as a whole. And the, the glasses just were taking off. Yeah. So they're like, this is our opportunity to become a Nike or to become uh, yeah. somebody that is universally recognized. Yeah. So um, I ended up having, because I worked for in the marketing department. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to market glasses. I don't know anything about glasses. I'm not passionate about this. Like, yeah. so it just became a grind for the last like year basically. And I'm like, I didn't really notice until afterwards when I made a change, what a grind the last year was, yeah. but I just like, wasn't happy. Um, I wasn't enjoying, I wasn't coming up with like good stuff. I'd been doing the same thing for six years, you know? And I'm like, that it's hard to be creative and come up with new things. So, um, at that same time, I didn't even know. It was just subconscious that I was kind of like, eh. Um, Summer Rappaport, she used to live here in uh, Raleigh-Durham area, like yeah. Cary, where we live. So every once in a while, when she would be home and we would be home, we would get together with her and do a bike ride or do a swim or do a run. So she happened to be in the area for like one day. This comes back to my right place, right time. Yes. We went on a run with her, and she just happened to mention like, oh, USAT is hiring like a new person for the CRP program. Um, and I was like, what? Because I never was seeking out a new job. I wasn't looking at job listings. I wasn't like hoping something else would come up. Yeah. But when she said that, it just sparked something. And so we got back to the car and immediately I just called my buddy. I was like, hey, I don't know what this job is from USAT, but I want it. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, you would be the perfect person for the job. I was like, okay, what is it? <laughs> um, and so then he basically explained what the job was after I had already wanted the job, regardless of what it was. Yeah. Um, and so it turned out to be taking over the Talent ID program, which is the program that Gwen Jorgensen, Katie, my wife, came through, Summer Rappaport, Taylor Spivey, um, all the top, like Kirsten Casper, um, yeah. Morgan, Matt were kind of part of that. Um, but just that whole program, which has been the most successful USAT program that I'm very involved with because of being married to somebody who did the yeah, whole program. Yeah, sure. um, and I was like an athlete at the time that this was all growing. Um, now I was like, somebody needs to take over this program. Like, 
I know more than anybody about like the high performance yeah. side of things. I know more than anybody about what other athletes in other countries are doing. Um, I know firsthand what Katie's experience was. I know all of these other athletes that I can like personally interview about how we can make things better. And so it just like was a perfect fit. So I kind of gave that speech in my interview yeah. and then ended up getting hired for that job um, in, I think it was 2021, yeah. uh, November of 2021. Yeah. And so we're coming up on uh, two years. Uh, actually, my two year anniversary might be like any day now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it just worked out perfectly that we went on a run with Summer. She told me about it. I called and then was the right person for the job. And here we are two years later. Um, yeah, I'm still in charge of that program and hoping to build it over the next like five or six years. Um, try to build it by like Olympic cycles. And yeah, I work very closely with the development side of sport and just the uh, high performance side of things. So talent identification for the Olympic side. Yeah. Um, for college, for high school, and then also for paratriathlon. Um, it's basically three jobs in one, and we're working on um, fixing that because it's too much. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that that's kind of the role if that explained everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's pretty good. I, I'm curious, like on a day to day basis, though, because like you, you're going to find these people. Are you just are you going to races, looking at numbers, like what it, what kind of like sets off a red flag? What's like, oh, Tommy, you need to go check out this person or talk to this person or reach out to that. Yeah, so I work with our data analyst, and originally when we started, we didn't have this guy, and I was doing everything manually myself. Yeah. Uh, but now he scrubs the data of results from um, NC2A running. So uh, as an example, we'll just do the Olympic side of things for collegiate, because sure. um, that's the easiest way to explain. But basically, he scrubs all the results from the 800, 1500, mile, 3K, 3K steeple, 5K, 10K, like all of those events. He takes the top like 500 athletes and then runs their name through Swim Cloud and USA Swimming and see if there's any matches. Okay. So every single match that he gets, he puts into an Excel spreadsheet. So as an example, there was 887 athletes that showed up that are on both running and swimming. So then I individually go through every single name and find out whether or not, A, it's the, the correct person, like it's the same person who was running and swimming um, by researching where they grew up and what they're doing and their bios and like emailing the school or whatever that is. Yeah. But the next thing is making sure that they hit standards. So the first thing I did when I got the job was I created a time standards guide that was all based off of what I know of training with the best athletes in the world and research from the last 10, 12 years of what the best athletes in the world are doing in these individual events. And so then I know when I cross-reference, all right, here's an athlete in college. This is what they ran in, let's say, the 1500. I know if they would be competitive in the world of triathlon with those times. That's and so... I, and it's a very general, it's not like a, a black and white line, sure. like it's a gray area. So I, I try to find people who are past it, but if they're not quite there, then I like judge this. So basically I'm looking for like division one world-class runners and that have a swim background, but the swim background can't be any swim background. They need to send in a video of them doing a 200 time trial so I can see how they're swimming um, and kind of assess that before they get an invite to a camp. So I go through the 887 names individually, find the athletes, color code them, the dark green athletes I contact first. And to get in contact with them, you have to email the school. Um, so you email the school, say, the send them a letter saying like, oh, you're one of very few Americans, which is true. Like the dark 
dark greens that I'm trying to find is maybe four or five athletes in the whole United States. Wow. So needles and haystacks. And so if you get a letter from a college about that, like you're a very special athlete. So I'll send the school this like very professional letter saying how unique this athlete is. They always pass it along to the athlete and the athlete gets in touch with me. So then I set up a Zoom call with them. I explain my program, I explain what triathlon is, and then ask them if they're interested in coming to a camp. If they are, I ask for the time trial filmed. They send it. If they're hit, able to hit a certain number of time or a certain time, then they get invited to the camp. And that's when they get further assessed by coaches. We see what their um, natural talent is, their natural ability, their coachability, their mentality, um, their commitment to the sport, how quickly they pick up bike skills, how they approach like time trials, how they approach uh, bike power tests, if they're different in training as opposed to a race scenario, all of these things. And they're further assessed and vetted. And then they kind of fall into a different tiered system. And then I work with them individually to set up the best path for them. And the athletes who are the best of the best performers get accepted into the program. And then we have a funding model that I set up that I don't really need to get into, but um, we help nurture that, set them up with coaches, training environments, and then give them the resources that they need to succeed. So all the equipment, um, yeah, the race planning, mentorship, guidance, uh, all that stuff. Um, And that's like the the breakdown of the CRP program. We also have, I do the same thing for high school. It's slightly different what that path is, but the scrubbing of data is exactly the same and setting up Zoom calls is exactly the same. on the paratriathlon side, it is very complicated and very challenging, but yeah, same thing. Yeah. Try to find athletes. I created time standards guide for every single classification. Um, if I find an athlete who can hit these, then they get invited to a camp and then we work with them. But um, yeah, it's much, there's no database of para-athletes like there is NC2A programs. Um you just need to find these athletes and where do you find them? Like, so you need to be in contact with organizations and like you need to run campaigns and it's a whole job by itself. And so to do these three different jobs is impossible. So I was like just scrounging by. And unfortunately this year, the parasite kind of like fell to the wayside Mm -hmm. because of the things that were happening on the Olympic side of things. Um, So yeah, I'm currently working with, some other people from USAT and we're trying to get somebody fully hired for the para triathlon side of things. So I'll still work with like the highest performance athletes, but the vetting process of going through to find those athletes is what is very taxing. Um, cause there's a difference between participation and performance and my role is solely on performance, but you can't find performance without participation. So we just need somebody to like lay the groundwork, get people involved with the participation. And then I can like pluck them, based on the time standards guide of what we see and what we're expecting. Um, So hopefully that broke down a little bit. (laughs) No, yeah, it's really interesting because it gives a little bit more of an in-depth understanding of what's going on behind the scenes because we did an episode with Tim Yant um, a number of weeks ago, and he explained from a very high level the different high schools and the programs that are going on with that and colleges and how you're trying to like funnel everything eventually, I guess, toward the Olympics um, for, for USAT. But yeah. It's, it's, yeah, and so it works in two parts because the as I said with the Excel spreadsheet, let's say it has 887, not all of those people are high-performing athletes. Only four or five are dark green yeah. in my color coding, which is the best. And so all the others I still have in a spreadsheet. And so then I pass them along to coaches or to Tim Yount who can get in touch with them and say, hey, triathlon's a sport. You could do it 
in college, you could do it as a club athlete. Like, so for high school athletes, like you could start a club, here are some junior coaches you could get connected with. Mm -hmm. So they're working on the participation side and just growing the sport with the athletes who may be good, may not, but most likely they don't hit the standards. Um, And so then I just take the highest performing athletes and work with them. And then everybody else still gets notified or like involved with the sports not like they just fall off the edge of the earth but yeah um so yeah i I feel like we're working pretty well usat as a whole um in trying to find a place for everyone um in every aspect yeah how often do you have to do these like data scrubs do you do it every quarter once a year so they have indoor track season outdoor track season and cross-country season so i just had a call right before this podcast (laughs) um with our data crunch guy because all the regional championships just happened um, in NC2A cross country. So right now we'll scrub data from every single regional cross country championship that happened, um, instead of just nationals, because there are some athletes, let's say only top five go to nationals from a high power school. Maybe sixth place was the same as fifth, just like slightly off. Maybe they have a really deep school, so they're not in nationals. And so if we just scrub the nationals data, that one athlete would not be on any lists. And so, um, yeah, going through all the regionals, every single athlete, every single name, I'll go through every single one of them to make sure I don't miss anything. Um, and yeah, cross-reference them and then get in touch with them and, and that way. So I, anyway, to answer your original question, no, I don't fly out anywhere. I don't go to any races. It's all done online and then yeah. like Zoom calls. Um, but then, yeah, I do follow their results. And if there's a race like the Raleigh Relays, I'll go to the Raleigh Relays and like watch how the athletes actually race. Yeah. Um, or I'll just follow up with them all individually ask them, for a race recap, how did it play out? Where were you at the beginning of the race to get an idea of how they raced it? Because yeah. um, the perfect example of this is I had two athletes that raced in Raleigh Relays 10K. One athlete, they just went to the front and were just driving it for the front and like just went all out trying to hold on and then ended up fading and then finished, I don't know, 10th place or whatever. The guy started, the other guy started the very back and paced it perfectly and just just picked off one guy at a time and then finished like third. So it's like knowing the difference between race styles or how things played out or like who was um, making kind of a a sacrifice of like, maybe I can hold on, maybe I won't. Like you you just get to know an athlete better. It's like, okay, this person was being very conservative. Is that smart or were they being safe? Um, Was this person being stupid or were they being like trying to figure out what their body can do? So there's just more information than if I just looked on paper and seen their 10K times and saw a third place guy was like 15 seconds faster than the other guy, but didn't know how the race played out, how the other guy was ahead for 9K and then got past, you know, the last 400 meters. (laughs) Um, Like it's important to know that stuff. So um, yeah, the first stage is just making sure that they have the times and then being in touch with them and then following up consistently. So it's it's a full-time thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm thankful sure. that it can be remote and that we have technology now that allows this to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm curious, um, and it may be a stupid question, but you said you scrub like the swimming and the running data. Is there cycling data that could be scrubbed as well? Um, yes and no. It doesn't need to be scrubbed because um, unfortunately cycling in the U.S. is a pretty, pretty barren small. lands. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I went through road cycling nationals results um the level that you need to be in triathlon as a cyclist is extremely high. So all the best cyclists are going to be pro cyclists and all the pro cyclists are usually not very good at the other two sports. Um, and so even if they were like a really fast 
runner and a strong cyclist. As an example, I found this one guy, Seth Hirsch is his name. Um, he did an insane power test, like power numbers you've never seen before. Like world tour, this guy is going to be an incredible cyclist. But he came from a running background and he has world leading triathlon run times. Like he would be one of our the fastest runners that we would have in the sport right now in the US. So he has two of these things going for him. And so I asked him, I was like, oh, could you send me a 200 free time trial? He couldn't finish 100 free. Like he could not finish the actual 200. And like his swim was so, so bad that there was no way that he would make it in the sport. So it was like, oh, so frustrating. He's so rare that like I, I have not found another cyclist who is solid in the other two so yes what the answer is we do scrub cycling stuff but yeah, it has not proven yeah. any any results also in world triathlon racing what's more important are the swim and the run um, the cycling can be learned and if you have the aerobic capacity that you're talented in both the swim and the run you're gonna have you the can, talent yeah. in, in the bike most likely yeah. so um that's kind of where we're keeping our focus yeah yeah super fascinating well i just have a couple more questions because i know you gotta run here in just a few minutes um yep. i guess the first question before the last what has you most excited right now? Everything that I'm doing with USA Triathlon. Yeah, that's what it um, sounds like, like. Yeah, watching everything fall into place. Uh, it's really hard in this position because it's so long-term that it, you, as people in general, we like seeing results right away or like you like doing something and then it's done and sure. you can show something for it. So if you do a race and you win, you get the medal or whatever. Like if you mow the lawn, you can see it looks beautiful. Like, um, But for this, it's like, all right, you need to break things down. You need to have an idea. You need to brainstorm how to do it. You need to refine it. You need to change it. You need to do it. Um, so as an example, I have, let's say, 29 athletes right now that are insanely high tier potentials but they don't graduate until you know 2026 or 2028 or whatever and then when you're looking at the timeline of athletes let's just say you're you're following all the protocols that we're hoping you do that's a two-year process to go from zero to the national team and or from zero to getting starts at the world triathlon championship series two years is when the Olympic qualification points start. So, uh, or sorry, two years out from Olympics is when Olympic points start. So basically you need to be at the top level two years before an Olympic Games, which means that four years before an Olympics, we need to find this athlete and get them set up and they need to start the sport so that by two years, they've made it to the top level and that's when Olympic points qualification starts and then they can qualify for the Olympics. So one athlete is a four-year process yeah. and that is extremely fast. So right now, you're not gonna see any results of these athletes that I'm finding until after LA 2028 probably. You know, Hopefully LA 2028, you'll see some yeah. fruit of my labor, but um, yeah, Brisbane 2032 is probably the next time. Like. Obviously, wow. the Olympics isn't the end-all, be-all. Like, you could still be – I could still find world champions and national team members throughout the years. But um, if we are talking about Olympic medals, like, we're not going to find out till 2032 if any of these athletes that I found work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that, to me, is, like it, – it's a little bit frustrating, but I'm excited for the amount of time that sure. I have to be able to set all this stuff up. And all the things that I have, like the dominoes, I'm, like, just getting ready to, you know, flick it and watch them all – like fall into place. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. And also I'm just excited about my position with world triathlon, like how everything's going on that front, um, how things are working with like Katie and my relationship and having our son and like getting involved with that rhythm of things, just life in general is like 
good. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, no, it sounds amazing. I'm really excited to see how everything turns out, especially with the Olympics coming back here to the U.S. in 2028. It'll be really interesting to hopefully reach out to you and say, hey, which ones of these were the ones you were watching four, seven, six years ago? Yeah, yep, pressure's on. <laughs> yeah, pressure's on for sure. All right, so last question. Um, a stupid question. So Crocs and McDonald's are releasing a limited edition shoe collaboration for when you want to show your devotion to, I guess, what the grimace beyond braving the shake. So what do you think about this partnership? <laughs> I have zero thoughts. That's, <laughs> I, hate, I hate that stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> do, do you, have you ever owned a pair of Crocs? No, and um, Katie is sponsored by Ufos, and so yeah, Ufos yeah. sent me an entire box that matched her box. So I'm all kitted out with like more <laughs> Ufos than I can even imagine. Also, fun fact: Katie and I are the exact same size for bike and for shoes, for helmets, oh, for everything. Awesome. So when we travel, like she can always use any of my stuff. That's um, nice. And I, I don't use her stuff, but <laughs> if she were to go to a race and like needed a bike or a helmet or shoes, she can use it. So we also, when she has a shoe sponsor we can wear the same shoes, like running shoes wise. Oh, um, and so for Ufos, I was like, oh, cool. I'll like be able to wear some of Katie's shoes. But Ufos just sent me an entire box, like, you know, $800 worth of Ufos yeah. probably. Um, and so, yeah, I'm hardcore Ufos. Nice. That's <laughs> awesome. Good deal, man. So if Ufos has a collaboration with um, not a fast food restaurant, <laughs> yeah. but uh, somewhere that is uh, Maybe a, nutrition let's company. Say a niche burger place, that yeah. would be nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A Thai food restaurant. <laughs> oh, Thai food. Gotta love Thai food. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Well, thank you so much, Tommy, for coming on and uh, just talking a little bit about your history. Let me pry a little bit and yeah, just hear what's going on. It's been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for all the questions and the, the smooth flow of life events. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks again so much to Tommy for coming on and sharing a little bit about his story of where he's been, where he's at, and where he's going. Uh, it was especially neat to hear about the work that he's doing with USA Triathlon to do the talent scouting using all the data analytics. That's such a neat thing. Um, if you made it to this point in the podcast, just want to say thank you so much. If you wouldn't mind, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. It really helps us to grow. If you want to ask any specific questions, you can actually do that through the Spotify app, and you can um, scroll down there at the bottom and ask us a specific question. So that would be cool. You could do that. Um, if you would like to follow us uh, more in depth, you can do that on the website at stupidquestions.show. You can sign up for the newsletter and we do exclusive giveaways and other stuff uh, planned for the future. If you want to sign up for that, you can do that there. And finally, if you're on YouTube watching this video, please give us a like and subscribe. Leave a comment below as it really helps to grow the channel as well. All right. I think that's it for this one. Thanks again to Tommy. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next one. Thank you so much to Precision Fuel and Hydration for sponsoring today's episode. Amazing company that makes amazing products. I have been testing out anything from their chews, which are my favorite, or their carb-only mix, or different kinds of carb mixes that include the uh, different levels of sodium that you may need to keep your electrolytes in balance. Check them out. You can go to uh, pfnh.com forward slash stupid questions and you can get 15% off any of their stuff there they also have an amazing tool that gives athletes a personalized plan for their next race which provides a lot of great uh, basis for you to iterate and refine your strategy come race day you can make yours at precisionhydration.com slash planner that's forward slash planner and uh, yeah so if you want to get an awesome discount with some awesome products, make sure to check it out. That's at pfnh.com forward slash stupid questions. You can also find this stuff in the show notes.